This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Well, it's hard for me to accept love or trust anybody when they say something nice. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I feel honestly just very overwhelmed. Um, you know, it's hard to really feel it though because, you know, we've, everybody's been so isolated and I still don't really go out too much. I check out what's online every now and again, and it, it feels nice. Bridget Everett's HBO series, Somebody Somewhere, is an incredibly personal dramatic comedy that critics and fans have embraced, and Everett is adjusting to the idea of so much acclaim. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Somebody Somewhere star Bridget Everett about her series, which has now been picked up for a second season. After that, we chat with Killing It star Craig Robinson about his Peacock comedy, which explores another side of the so-called American dream. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. You may best know stand-up comedian Bridget Everett from Inside Amy Schumer. In HBO's Somebody Somewhere, she stars as Sam, a nihilistic Kansan woman who returns to the small town where she grew up and struggles to find her place. She grapples with grief from the death of her sister, as well as complicated relationships with her parents and surviving sister, but finds that singing is her saving grace, which leads her on a journey to discover herself and a new community of outsiders, including Joel, played by Jeff Hiller. It's the one time I drove off the road during this crazy blizzard. You don't even want to know the things I had to do to get through. What, did you um, take yourself a little cup? Fill up that cup hmm. with some wee-wee? I gotta drink my wee-wee. Oh, no. <laughs> Why would I have oh, to drink no. my own urine during a snowstorm? I gotta storm? drink, 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 my wee-wee. Oh, no. <laughs> I gotta drink it. Drink it. Drink it. I drink it. My wee-wee. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Friday's review of Somebody Somewhere praised the show's balance and outlook, saying that the achievement of Somebody Somewhere is how it puts Sam's cynicism to the test. It suggests that she is also taking the easy way out by indulging a belief that improvement is impossible. Somebody Somewhere has now been renewed for a second season. I spoke with Everett about the show and the positive response that it has received. Well, it's hard for me to accept love or trust anybody when they say something nice. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel... Honestly, just very overwhelmed. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to kind of really feel it though, because you know, we've everybody's been so isolated and I still don't really go out too much. But I scroll through 
you know, I check out what's online every now and again and it feels nice. Yeah. Well, it's got to be, I mean, for, for especially to do something so personal, putting it all out there, that's got to be terrifying at the same time, gratifying in the end, but, but I'm sure, you know, sort of terrifying to kind of put it out there and, and sort of wait for everyone to now sort of receive it. Yeah. I think, you know, because it's close to who I am in, in many ways, I felt very nervous and overwhelmed to like put it out in the world, especially because people, a lot, a large part of my audience are people that know me from singing songs like titties and what I got to do to get that dick in my mouth. <laughs> this, is, this is what uh, I guess they call in the business a departure, but it's not really, it's, it's close to, it's closer to who I really am. And, and you did, did get some of those songs in there. So you did manage to work it in for the fans, yeah. for, for the old school fans who are waiting for it. But yeah, you got to give a, you got to give a little bit, you know, <laughs> and it's also like the Bridgetization of Sam and everything. I don't know. It just felt really, um, personal and small. It's like when we were making it, I didn't even think about how people would react to it. I was, you know, Carolyn was always encouraging us to be, you know, do, you know, be yourself, put yourself into it, you know, be, you know, and I'm really encouraged like this kind of openness when we were in the writer's room that it just didn't feel like that big a deal. But once it went out into the world, I was like, oh fuck, what have I done? <laughs> but it's good. Take me back to sort of the the origins of of the show. How how did this get made? As as they say, well, I got a deal with HBO, so <laughs> thank them first of all. But then I called Carolyn, who I happened to be friends with, and I said, "I got this deal with HBO. Would you help me build a show?" And she was into it, which was you know wild because she's like. Game of Thrones and Chernobyl and a lot of um, incredible television that we all know and love. But, and I knew this was going to be like low budget, but she was just very invested. And then she suggested that we contact Paul and Hannah, who are our creators and they pitched the world. And we got involved with the Duplass brothers too. And and they, they, um, Hannah and Paul pitched to Mark and Carolyn and me. And I was, by the end of it, my heart was in my throat. You know, they, they had the, uh, choir practice and a sister who's passed away. So it was the music. And then I was also, even though my sister died 10 years ago, it's still sort of fresh. And then they also pitched Murray Hill as Frederick Coco. And Murray is one of my dearest friends. And, you know, they checked a lot of boxes. And then we just got into a room with uh, Patty Breen, who's a, was our, our right, also a writer. And we just hammered it out and spent a lot of time laughing and crying. And if it made us laugh, it went in. And if it made us cry, it went in. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about so many great creatives in, involved in this. So you mentioned, I mean, Carolyn, who who I, I know back from her days at HBO. So you're right. She was behind so some of these you know, real great big shows, but also smaller shows there too. So she knows a thing or two about finding writers' voices and finding yeah. creators' voices. And, uh, and you mentioned the Duplass brothers. You know, obviously, they've done the same through the years. So so a lot of, a lot of great creatives to be working with, too. What was that writer's room like? What was that sort of that, that process like in, in, you know, how much you all were sort of given of, of yourselves, but also doing this during COVID, where you, it's sort of, it's a different style of, of you know, doing yeah. writing than, than we're used to? Well, you know, Paul and Hannah uh, come from kind of the same world that I do, like downtown New York and that sort of performance world. And then Patty Breen is a more experienced 
TV writing. You know, Paul and Hannah have written on television shows for sure. And then Carolyn has this wealth and breadth of knowledge from all her producer, producerial stuff. So we sort of took the a little bit from everybody. You know, Patty was always about like story and drive. And, you know, she was essential to like, because it is a very quiet show. It's, you know, there's not like a lot of like action, but you still need a backbone to hang everything off of. And she was instrumental in helping us do that. And Paul and Hannah write beautifully. And then I just kept putting in parts of my life and themes that I thought would resonate and work for me. You know, I'm not like a classically trained actor, so it was helpful to have stuff that I could sink my teeth into. And then Carolyn is like this anthropological expert, just sort of excavating like what's most meaningful. And then, you know, also HBO was like so hands-on, I guess in some ways it was good that it was during the pandemic because everybody had a lot of time on their hands to kind of really, I mean, we went through drafts and, and so much, you know, there was so much rewriting and Paul and Hannah working every day and, and, um, everybody just had just seemed to care a lot, you know, and it just was really special that way. Yeah. I'm sure people care on all their projects, but you know, I'm new to this. I'm I'm green. So I felt, I was like, wow, people really give a shit. This is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can tell when it's a, you know, sort of feels like a real personal project. And, and you said, you mentioned it is a smaller show, but I mean, Hey, you had a, you had a tornado. I mean, (laughs) there's some, some big elements and, and, do I understand like there was actually a, a real tornado that was nearby? Before? There was a real tornado that like ripped through like Naperville and also not close, not far from where we were staying in Lamont. You know, Mike Haggerty was over in Naperville and Mary Catherine. And I was like, oh my God, are you guys okay? <laughs> but yeah, that happened the night before we shot our tornado episode. And, you know, it was on a low budget, but Jay, Jay Duplass was directing that episode. And also the people in post, the Duplass post I'm forgetting like who the fuck everybody was, you know, that was helping us with it. But they, the, what do you call it? VFX and all that stuff. Like they just knew how to do, how to make it look real and to kind of fake it in, in the right ways. But it was important to me that it, it felt and looked like a real tornado. Cause I'm from Kansas and I, and I know what that shit looks and feels like. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there are a number of things that sort of, I feel like you really got right that, that sort of that dying mall, for example, that, you know, we, we've, all been to those sort of sad shopping malls that sort of still have a couple of stores open and then yeah. they've transferred other stores into churches or Taekwondo studios. Totally. And, and there's such a melancholy to it, but yet it's still sort of, it's this big building. And, well, and I love that you say Taekwondo studio, by the way, because when we were shooting one of the choir practice scenes, there was literally a Taekwondo studio <laughs> next door that had opened and they were teaching a class and like, we're trying to, you know, <laughs> Some tender moment in the fucking choir practicing the next year. You, hut, 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 you know, so we had to go and ask, sort of make a deal with them. That's amazing. That's you got a few few free lessons out of the deal. So, yeah, exactly. Great. Where did you shoot this? Because you didn't shoot this in Manhattan, right? Uh, Kansas. Where 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 did you? We got some B roll in Manhattan. But we shot mostly in the greater Chicagoland area. A lot in Lockport and. Romeoville sort of areas like that. Does that just come down to kind of just your kind of budget, whatever works out? Was there like a thought of maybe shooting it in Manhattan, but it just didn't work out? Or I think that Mark Duplass had pitched it in the beginning in Illinois because thought that financially it would be good. They have the great infrastructure of like all those Chicago actors who were so good, the crews. And and, um, yeah, so, I mean, 
moving forward, I hope we get to do pick up more and more shots in Kansas because it's just great to be there. But um, we had an incredible locations, um, uh, what do you call it, manager or director, <laughs> locations person, right, Danielle, right, right. Who, who really was like tireless at like, I'd be like, well, that doesn't look like Kansas. That doesn't look like Kansas. And she's like, all right, here I go again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the uh, they, they did a great job with that too because you could really there was a sense of place to uh, scene where you guys shot. Yeah, so, yeah. Paul and Han and I are all like from the Midwest, so we wanted it to feel that way. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I don't want to. I can only retain thoughts in my brain for like 20 <laughs> seconds at a time, so they have to come out when they have to come out. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good because I wanted to ask you. I mean, tell me a little bit about where you grew up, Manhattan, Kansas. What what should we know about this town? college town right so it's 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 got elements of progressiveness it seems like but what was what was that town what do you how would you kind of describe where you grew up yeah manhattan kansas the little apple but you're you're right you know when i when i was looking at the election results last you know presidential election it's like all red and then there's like manhattan and lawrence like voted biden you know but by the way manhattan this is sort of a good example like they voted biden for president but everybody else was read on the ticket, you know, so uh, it's, you know, it's, it's conservative, but there are, you know, liberal, you know, there's a, it's a nice balance, but there's also, it's close to the Fort Riley, which is a big red one. So you have the military, then you have, you know, the university and football is huge and family and, and community. My brother, Brad, my oldest brother, Brad still lives there. And he's like always out doing something for somebody, you know, he's like good people. You know, versus me, you know, who's in my apartment is like, I don't, care. I can't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> He's out there, you know, shoveling somebody's driveway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think your show sort of like showcased sort of just real people as well. And, and that was sort of what was fun was it felt really like a slice of, you know, middle America. Good. Talk a little bit about, I guess, going back to sort of how this show evolved, any sort of, interesting notes from HBO, from the network, uh, you know, how, how did they sort of, you know, work with you on this? Um, so I'm putting my headphones on because oh. there's like some, some, there's like a party out in the hallway. I think they're, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, well, I mean, you know, we worked on the scripts for like a year because it was over the, you know, we, we pushed filming for like a year um, or not a year, but we pushed it several months and, you know, so we're sort of taking our time and really just rolling things out. And then like days before we started production, like HBO was like, well, you know, we have actually had a few more thoughts. And then, like they really, but they, Paul and Hannah, I remember calling Paul and Hannah. I was like, so freaked out. I was like, oh my God, like, how are we going to figure all this out? How are we going to make these changes? And Paul is just very like, oh, you know, we've got this. It's going to be fine. Meanwhile, they're not telling me that he's like, he's having a, a physical reaction where he has to urinate like every three minutes because he's so stressed out. But, but. I just felt like they cared, you know, and they like, and they're, and we cut a sort of a pretty substantial character who was in, you know, three or four episodes, like right before filming. And it turned out to be such a good decision. And I'm happy that they said that we should do that because it makes the show better. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really, I don't, you know, some of my friends like are always like, ah, these executives, blah, blah, blah. But I found the people at HBO, Amy and PM Ben to be like so helpful and only made the experience better. Yeah, you're 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 right. I think in, in this age, you know, there there is that there's a maybe a better balance than there used to be because there is that, you know, you don't want any network involvement because then you sort of, you know, run run rush odd. What's 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 the term? But 
so sometimes <laughs> creative can suffer if there isn't that guidance. But at the same time, you're right. A lot of people complain a lot about too. Yeah, much. No yeah. I think you watch it sometimes, and you're like, man, somebody should have gotten involved. Where was the grown up in the room? You know, like you gotta. It's nice to have somebody just sort of, you know. And we're and Paul and Hannah and I are all, you know, green. So it was good to have as many hands on deck to help make the best end product possible. Well, I mentioned we got uh, some of your music in there. We got uh, pl- plenty of singing. You you got to do the piece of my heart. So so you managed to get get some some good stuff in there. What was sort of the conversations like in you know bringing some of your music to the show, and uh, also like you know sharing some of your lyrics? What was sort of that process like and that experience like in in adding some of your music to the mix? Well. You know, for instance, Peace of My Heart, like, I was like, I don't want to do that song. I've been singing that at karaoke bars for years. Let's do something else. And I really wanted to do, like, an Eddie Money song. And Carolyn was like, but is that, like, is that your song? Like, you need to sing your song in this moment. Yeah. So it it wasn't like I was just being like, well, I want to sing this here. I want to sing that there. And then Paul and Hannah picked the Peter Gabriel Kate Bush song for the the pilot, which was – gorgeous you know I, I love that song in yeah. the in the first episode and but then like you know there's a scene where joel and i are sitting in the car and we're like stalking rick and and i just started singing some song about wee wee or pp or something like drink drink my wee wee oh no i gotta drink it whatever it was but just you know sometimes we just added in on the fly like i just did that and then other times it was really well thought out and then we wanted to introduce a little bit of, you know, like I said, the Bridgetization of Sam, which was like the lyrics and and stuff that she had kind of just left behind her because she always has felt like she was too much, you know, too, too big a mouth, too, too much. Yeah. Well, there's that moment where she finally, because she's been sleeping on her couch and she finally like crawls into her bed, like this sort of symbolic moment where she's finally a little more comfortable in herself, like kind of describe that, that, that moment, that evolution of Sam and, and, and sort of, you know, where we see her journey throughout the season toward the end with that, you know, beautiful song that she writes for, for Joel and kind of leave her in, in kind of somewhat of a better place than we began. Yeah. Well, I think like Holly, her sister who's passed away is like, kind of the only person that used to accept Sam and like her foul mouth and like her dirty sense of humor and like, and like not just accepted it, but embraced it. And then when Holly died, like, you know, that was kind of like, not just saying goodbye to her sister, but just like the chance to really be herself. Right. So when she meets Joel, who like reminds her like who she used to be, it's, it's thrilling for her, but it's also scary because music is such a, a connective tissue for Sam. You know, it's like the way she uh, engages in the world. But as like Joel kind of encourages her to open up and be more herself, like, and he sees her lyric book, you know, where she's written all this, these dirty things and, and he likes it. She's, she starts to feel alive again. And like, she has family again, kind of. So in the final episode, when she's on the bus singing, um, you know, not just like under her breath, but she's standing in front of her new group of friends, kind of commanding it and being like, I'm going to wrap this pussy around every dick I can. And they're like, fuck yeah, (laughs) fuck yeah, you are. You know, I think that she realizes that she's kind of plugged back into life. And then, and when she goes home, it's, you know, 
you know, it's a difficult thing. It was a difficult thing to film and it's like a difficult thing to kind of explain on the page and the script. But I just, you know, when you're, when you are living with grief and you're living through grief, right? Like, I think it was important to show a moment where Sam is like, she knows she's home. She can be in that house, be where Holly was. And it doesn't mean she's gone. It just means that she's still with her. And I think, you know, it's, we've all experienced that loss and there is kind of a moment where it stops being so hard, where it starts, you can have moments of release, like you're sort of just letting a little more air out of the balloon. And I think that that moment in the bed is just a lot of things coming together for her at once. Yeah. Yeah. And then you add it to the barn and the idea of bringing church there and yeah. And, and yeah, there, there's, and, and that's the song that she writes there. It's, it's, um, yeah, I think that I think that song is important because like Sam has a hard time communicating with people as I do, just like, you know, telling them how she feels. And I think that the song is an opportunity for her to be as open as she's really ever been with somebody. And um, and to do it in the barn is special and to do it for him is meaningful because he's he's the one that he's the one that turned the lights on. By the way, like my new favorite character in all of TV is, of course, Fred Murray Hill. <laughs> Just killing it, like I just everything about this character, including the party bus, it's like it's like with the furry like handle, you know, oh, just yeah. steering wheel, like just love it. Um, and uh, by the way, very funny moment watching the finale. Literally, right the moment when you're singing that song, which I'm I'm so shy, I'm not even going to repeat the lyrics that you just gave. <laughs> That's right the moment where my 12 year old walks in to you know go grab some food at the kitchen. So it's like oh, perfect timing. <laughs> but oh, wait, you froze for a second. 12 year old oh, walked in. You said yeah, yeah. So it was per- perfect timing. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Perfect. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we're all doing the best we can, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We are. Do you remember what is like, maybe as a kid, maybe as like a five-year-old, six-year-old, the very first song you ever wrote? Do you still remember the lyrics to that? Was it? Oh, I wrote a song with my friends, Rachel and Jonathan. Like there was like this music enrichment school and they had like a songwriting contest and we wrote a song uh, and I think I played the piano like when you're feeling down nothing feels all right <laughs> go outside face the light make your troubles right i mean it was like very very basic but but you know Still, we got, we got in the game how old are you oh i'm i think i must have been eight years old or something young pretty great for eight i mean that's yeah <laughs> i mean second i don't know but whatever second grade is maybe it was maybe we're a little bit older but it was we were young we were yeah. very young it was grade school for sure. And then, uh, but then it quickly just changed to just like filthy. Like as soon as I got in middle school, it was just as filthy as I could be. <laughs> That's middle school. That's, I've always had a blue sense of humor and it got me in a lot of trouble, but you know what? Now it pays the bills. <laughs> it, it certainly does. Speaking of paying the bills, it still blows my mind. I know you've said that like you were continuing to work at restaurants up until what, like 2015? I mean, fairly yeah. recently. I feel like I've seen you on my TV forever, Bridget. So that kind of shocked me that you were still working pretty recently, sort of, uh, you know, besides doing everything that you're doing with touring and what have you. Yeah. But 
But that's, do you remember well, that? Well, I live in New York, so yeah. it's really fucking expensive for one. And number two, um, I had, um, they, you know, I had health insurance through my restaurant job. So I probably held on to it for a little longer than I should have. But, but um, yeah, there was like a point around 2015 where I was doing this show uh, that I'd written uh, down at Joe's Pub, which is part, it was part of the public theater season. You know, not really making a lot of money doing it, but um, was getting great reviews and it was selling out every night. And I called my restaurant job to put in a schedule request. And I was like, you know, I, I think I can only work like Tuesday of this week. And then she, my manager said to me, she's like, are you sure you want to come back? And I was like, you know what? I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I just quit. And I went to go do, a sh- I went to do my show rock bottom that night at Joe's. And I told the audience right before I sang the final song, which is called I'll take you home. And which is similar to well, the home, I guess home is a theme for me, but, um, yeah. but anyway, I got like a, you know, no exaggeration, probably a seven minute standing ovation. Like they just, they've, that audience has been with me for a very long time. And I think they, they shared the, the excitement for me and, and it was really cool. Yeah. And it's just been nonstop since then. So, uh, (laughs) well, sort of (laughs) pretty much what, I'm um, doing all right. (laughs) What's, what's the word on season two is, is uh, fingers crossed. We'll see more. We got it. Yeah, we have a green light. So we're on that. And right now we are working on the, the first three episodes. And, you know, we have a loose idea of this, the structure of the season. And I'm really excited about it. Excellent. And any hints, any further hints? You, you left some some string hanging, especially with your your character's sister at the end of the season. And uh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's still a lot more to explore. And and Joel, we, we got a poor, poor, like... I love that's the other of my my new other favorite character is just Joel. Yeah. Like such such a Joel's lovable. great. I mean, you're gonna see more Joel, more Fred, more family, more laughter, more singing, and um, you know, it's it's all unknown right now, so I don't wanna say too much. All right. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to it. Glad to hear that there's more to come. So congratulations, Bridget, on, on everything and on the show and uh best to you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon as season two gets underway. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'll see if my thing says right there. It says good news. We're good news. For good news. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's Somebody Somewhere star and executive producer Bridget Everett. The show is now streaming on HBO Max with season two to come. After the break, Killing It star Craig Robinson. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Of course, you all know Craig Robinson as Daryl on The Office or Doug Judy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Perhaps you've seen him on tour with his stand-up show or on stage as part of his music act, The Nasty Delicious. But most recently, he's been the star of Peacock's Killing It. Created by Brooklyn Nine-Nine producers Dan Gore and Luke Del Tredici, 
Killing It stars Robinson as Craig, a man who competes in a state-sponsored python hunt in his quest to achieve the American dream. The idea originates from his Uber driver, played by Claudia O'Darity, who takes him on a wild ride. So, you're probably wondering about the snake. Yeah, I'm wondering about the fucking snake. That's exactly what I'm wondering about, Jillian G. It's all completely above board. The state of Florida pays me to do this job. Check it out, I've got a pamphlet. Ten years ago, there was a trend for people to get Burmese pythons as pets. They start out really cute. That can't be true. It is, but then they got too big, so everyone drove their snakes out to the swamps and set them free. But they're not from here, so nothing eats them, but they eat everything. Birds, alligators, even other snakes. It's an ecological disaster. So the state pays removal agents a hundred bucks for every dead python we bring in. It's a quick and easy way to earn some extra cash. Didn't seem easy. They're not poisonous, they're really slow. They're like big hot dogs that can bite you or squeeze you to death. But also, they can kind of smile. You know, this has been very informative and all that, but you think we... Hey! Hey! It's alive! You didn't kill it! Shit! Okay, Ah! okay, okay! Stay calm, just remember, it's more scared than you are! Craig Robinson's busy schedule includes films, other TV shows, and even hosting The Masked Dancer. There's so many more platforms for Craig to shine these days, so I began by asking him, how is he capitalizing on this boom in programming? I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not taking full advantage of it. <laughs> but I am, I am blessed and I'm taking some advantage. And yes, you know, it's look forward to playing my band some more. I'm on the road like crazy doing comedy dates. So that's like, I think every weekend, almost to the end of the year. Yeah. Which is a uh, save for one or two weekends. So it's, that's going great. And then, you know, we'll see, we'll see what, you know, the show is out. We'll see what happens. And then there's a movie out, and then we got a movie we're supposed to shoot, but I don't know when that's going to be scheduled. Excuse me, that's a that's a movie I'm doing with Common and uh, Andy Samberg, and it's called Super High. <laughs> <laughs> it's about guys who uh, smoke weed and get superpowers. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That sounds very much uh, uh, sort of a perfect vehicle for especially you and Sandberg uh, yeah, yeah, to reunite. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I would love to see a Doug Judy spin up, but you know the guys who wrote Brooklyn are the head of uh, Killing It. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of continues in the family. So, so well, why don't we start by talking about Killing It then? So kind Let's of give me the the origins of, of how that happened and, and, yeah, sort of continuing with some of your pals who you've worked with through the years in this NBC universal sort of comedy Universe. world. <laughs> yeah. So I guess three, four years ago now, meeting with Dan Gore, my manager, Mark Schumann, and I, I met with Dan Gore in his office and we... You know, he was like, Dan was like, look, you know, Brooklyn's going to end, and, uh, but uh, I really want to work with you, you know. Let's work together. I was like, yeah, let's work together. So, you know, we just wanted to see if we wanted you know, meet, a general meeting. Yeah. And then uh, not too long after, Dan and Luke met with Mark and myself, and uh, then we would have these meetings about, uh, you know, what would we do? And then they came to a meeting, and they had like three solid ideas. One of them was about killing it. It wasn't titled yet, but one of them was about these, you know, true story about people who hunt snakes in Florida for cash. And I was like, that's so weird and different. <laughs> You're like, that's a thing? On Ding dong, let's go. Yeah. So, you know, cut to them writing, cut to pandemic, cut to them turning in scripts, 
pandemic going on the whole time, you know, and uh, and then uh, we got the, you know, they said, yeah, we're going to do it. So what were the other two ideas? I don't remember. <laughs> I wish I did. I need to, to remember because they were good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, One of them was, was with music, so it was cool. Uh, we need, yeah, we, we, we always love seeing you with music. So we got to get back to that. But uh, with uh, Killing It, like, what did you, like, because Florida seems obviously always ripe for just, <laughs> like, craziness and characters. And and was that something, like, have you paid attention to, like, Florida Man and, and all that stuff through the years? I've like, seen, yes, of course. Yeah. So, but, but you can that, go to any date and they'll type in Florida Man and there'll be a date of a Florida person yeah something yeah no it's 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 ripe for for story but i mean you grew up in chicago so yes. that's kind of that's that's very far away from from your experience but nonetheless did you have you ever spent much time in florida have you known I, people from florida what's what's been I, your I'm connection to going to florida next week i was there a few weeks ago in dania beach and uh i love it <laughs> i was you know, surprised when I'm always read, reading these articles because I haven't experienced anything like that. Yeah. Uh, those things that happen. But uh, no, I love going to Florida. I love going to Miami. It's, all, it's always like a vacation. The last place I went, I was, you know, I'm going to do a comedy gig. So I went, I went to go somewhere and it's like, you know, you're on vacation and there's no resort hotels. Yeah. You're not killing snakes when you go there. I'm not. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, trying to avoid the iguanas. The flaw, yeah, which which I've heard is real. Like they, when it gets cold enough, like they they fall asleep or, or they go in a trance or something. And they just fall from the trees. Boom! And, right on your car. Yeah, or wherever. It's crazy. That's. I didn't know that until we shot that scene. <laughs> so 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 the you guys sort of settled on killing it. But then, obviously, there's a lot more going on in this show than just being set in Florida and and killing snakes. There's this larger sort of theme of the American dream and the American dream sort of denied. And, you know, what does that mean to be chasing this? But in the real world, which is unlike, you know, the fantasy world where everyone can achieve the American dream, not everyone can achieve the American dream. It's... It's it's a lot tougher than you think, and your character at the heart of it is sort of still believes in it, but is hitting roadblocks in every direction. Yeah, he he's got a lot of faith because of it was instilled in him by his father, who was murdered at it when he was a young age. But uh, yeah, he he for some reason because his father he, he believes that he can. He can do it. It just has to, and he believes you have to work hard and you have to sacrifice and do all these, all these things we always hear. So he, he definitely believes in that and he's chasing it and it doesn't go too well for him until, of course, you know, you know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> How would you describe Craig, the, this Craig? And, you know, he, because he is, He's he's still got faith, like you mentioned, and you're really rooting for this guy, and and really, you know, he's been he's he's faced so much, and you see immediately why he's faced so much, and you know his his brother's gone a different direction in in how to deal with this and this trauma of of what he experienced as a kid, but he's he's still so you know hopeful, and and he's got faith, and he's got a beautiful little girl, and you just you're really rooting for this guy. Yeah, he's. A family man, you know, that's, that's his number one. He, he probably wouldn't and probably shouldn't be 
cool with his brother except for that they are family. Yeah. And uh, you know, and they've both gone through something. And they've both gone through something. And he's, you know, he's willing to work hard if he can get the work. Uh, and he, he, he tries not to suffer fools lightly. But then, you know, he has a soft spot as well. He's, uh, he's determined. He's, I don't know how smart he is. But, uh, <laughs> well, he's, he's got ambition too. He's, I mean, he's got he's, ambition and he'll, he, he, he might not like lizards, but he'll go try to catch them if it means he can get some cash to fund his dream. Yeah. One yeah. of his dreams. He dreams a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's got a pitch as well, which. I'm sure you probably memorized the pitch by now. <laughs> <laughs> it's 4 a.m. I'm wide awake. Why? Am I out at the clubs? Do I rise with the European markets? No. I just really have to pee. <laughs> I, I didn't even know I knew that. <laughs> I mean, it resonates. I love like the, he's 40, he's 50, maybe even he's 60. <laughs> like, I'm looking at you, buddy. <laughs> hey, it's not a interest in the pitch, but... It's, it's not a bad idea, but yeah, I mean, and, and then, so as the show goes on, obviously it also becomes sort of a, a buddy comedy to some degree. So, so talk about that element of it. Jillian played by Claudia O'Doherty. What, I mean, when she, she auditioned and, you know, people were auditioning over Zoom and what have you, it was just so, so there, it was like. Uh, there were the names floating about, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Oh no, this is this is the one." It was it was right. So playing with her and, and acting with her, and there's, there's an awareness that she has of who she is comedically, and and you 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 know it's it's like you know playing football. Montana knows he's gonna get it to Rice, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's uh it's a beautiful. Uh, dance we do yeah yeah because she's much the same way as, as craig and, and sort of just has you know life has has really kicked her in the ass but she still has this hope and this this optimism and the two of them together have that even though they're so so different was was this care was was jillian supposed to be australian from no the beginning or? exactly right no great point this became her yeah yeah I, I, one of my favorite early jokes is when she's like, have you heard of Olivia Newton-John? <laughs> she's from Australia. <Yeah. laughs> what, what is your, another interesting thing about the show is that it takes place in 2016. So it has the undertones also of the conversation at the time of being American and the American dream with the whole Trump and MAGA sort of, you see the posters out there on the lawns as you're like driving in to the driveway or what have you. So, so what was that sort of that decision to sort of set the show a couple years earlier? That would be a question for the writers. I remember when we were shooting, I didn't realize that well, that's what was going on. Yeah. You're like, why are these Trump signs? Yeah, I was like, whoa, we are really deep in Trump County. Okay, that's cool. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, so it does cover that. And, and that's a question for the writers. Yeah. You know, as far as, but we did have like a MAGA-ish episode. If you, I don't know if you saw them all, but there's one where I'm in a Trump mask. Yeah, yeah. It calms the dog down <laughs> in the house that we've broken into. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. But what is, I mean, Craig, what is your take, personal take on the quote unquote American dream? And, you know, is that something you've thought about much personally? 
the American dream to me is you work hard and you reap the benefits of that work and then you do it again. So it's a circle. And it might even be, you know, as as big as you can dream. You know, I don't know. Like somebody today was like something about fundraising for a hundred million dollars. And like, hey, if such and such can do this, you know, we should get a fundraising for you. And I'm like, what? What do I have to do for that hundred million? You know, I I can see me working, doing shows, and you know, if a hundred million comes that way, fine. But let's not just start talking about fundraising for a hundred million dollars for what? What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'm sure your dream has gone in many different directions through the years. Yeah, I think in some ways I'm living it. You know, at some point you get to the dream, and then it's like that's something you got. You know, figure out what's next. You start over another circle. Yeah, yeah. Like when you, like at the height of the office, were you like, it's not going to get better than this? Or were you like, I need to make this better than this? And, and okay, I've reached this, but now this is where I want to go. Office was, I didn't think that it couldn't get any better. I saw that as, oh, so this is what it is. Okay, this is, this is dope. Let's see, how do you, you know. Continuing, yeah, and rise. Because the office, the funny thing about that is I was never, you know, I started off uh, in the fourth episode and then I didn't become a regular until like the sixth, seventh season or something. So I, was, I, was, I wasn't ever like uh, a part of the original cast. Yeah. So it never felt like, like it was, I mean, I'm a part of it and love it and we all, I'm there and people office and when they yell and see me but i always felt like you know the outside cousin or something you know what i mean yeah yeah because it took time for a lot of the folks who are sort of in the background to sort of elevate to to more the foreground and there was that moment where daryl got his own office in the office which sort of i think coincided with with craig robinson becoming so much more in the forefront of the show but that took a while it took a while so yeah again it showed me you know like because office i got to go to Places like Upfronts and and get to see, you know, what, what first class was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like first class, not just on planes, but you know, how when a show is revered and and awards ceremonies, I mean, to the Emmys and stuff because of the office, you know, it's, it's been, it was what a ride. Yeah. And it but, also, but it wasn't my vehicle. I guess that's what I'm saying. It wasn't my vehicle. Right, right. But you're able to use that as the sort of a jumping off point. The, thousand percent. And the music, too. You're able to showcase your music toward toward the end of the run on the show and, and allow that to sort of showcase you and and your routine and your performance uh, as well. Right. So, so from from there... Were there sort of, was sort of the goal after that? And, and what did you sort of, like, was there any career and any sort of, you know, person that you wanted to emulate their career and, and sort of taking it from there? I don't I don't know that I looked to emulate anybody's career, but I certainly looked up to, you know, a lot of people, the Eddie Murphys and the Cosby's and Priors of the world. Um, but the goal was always get more work. It wasn't like a... Uh, and, uh, okay, it's got to be this, that, and that. It was, uh, you know, I had a strong team around me. Manager, Mark Schulman, agent, Jay Gasner, you know, who uh, they are really good guides. And they know, you know, hey, you should do this project because this will show this. And 
and uh, this is a new director, but this uh, this is a person who this, that, and other, you know, and they, and they give me all a breakdown of, uh, and then it's, you know, ultimately my decision, but, but uh, it's, I, I lean a lot on them for uh, their, hey, you know, we really feel like this uh, will take you here, there. And it's all, it's worked out tremendously. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, something will coincide, such as right now, Killing It came out. And a week later, the Bad Guys movie comes out with the, the DreamWorks animated movie. And it was, uh, you know, I couldn't have planned that. <laughs> hey, debut here and then debut there. You can't plan stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Especially right now, because the pandemic sort of like messed up with a lot of things. And, and you weren't able to tour for a while. No, which is, which is cool, because it, uh, you know, instilled that hunger back. And I might have needed a break, but... um. The pandemic, it switched a lot of stuff. Man. It switched a lot of stuff around in my mind. Like, for instance, uh, I don't know. It didn't matter what kind of car you had. Nothing mattered except for toilet paper and food <laughs> at that point. Yeah, yeah. You had to stockpile that toilet paper. But Right, right. If you had a Lamborghini and somebody else had toilet paper, <laughs> people would have gone with you with the toilet paper. But now you're able to be back on tour again. You mentioned, like, you're you're pretty set. Through the end of the year? Yes, yes. I got a bunch of dates coming up, some everywhere. Omaha, Charlotte, New York, Tacoma. <laughs> All over the map. Uh, West Palm, just to name a few. Atlanta, Raleigh. Yeah, it's a bunch of places. So what are you finding when you're getting back out there? What's uh, what, what are audiences like these days? Or... Audience are, audiences are having a blast. They're appreciative. They they come to have fun and, and play and you know if you they come you know they're coming for you your fans are coming for you right so they're they know I'm coming they know there's gonna be some music there's gonna be and some people don't know they just know me from movies or whatever or a lot of people now like like you it's the guy from uh, the Pizza Hut commercial <laughs> <laughs> which is great too yeah but I find my my audience is to be fun and charming and and. Uh, Playful, and uh, you know, how much of the show is it like part nasty delicious, part stand up? What? How do you have? How's the makeup of your show? The right? nasty delicious. We we did a show, uh, you know, for Netflix as a joke festival, and uh, and that was our first time together since New Year's twenty twenty. Mm, right. So we hadn't. So it's been was this two years now. Wait, wait, twenty twenty turning twenty twenty one. So it was a year and almost a year and a half. Yeah, almost a year and a half. So then we got another gear coming up, but we haven't done obviously a lot. So getting that's the most special thing I do. Yeah, is is play with the nasty D, and then my act is me on the keyboard, and uh, I can hear them in my head when I'm doing my stuff. So a lot of the act is is the the band accompanying me, and instead like if I do a joke on a the song I will survive. Now you can have a drum solo, and you know, and I'll play throughout the song, and then we'll switch up to something else versus just me doing the joke, going through the verse, and, and then hitting the joke, and then moving on. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like when you got the Nasty Delicious, to, to use it in, in sort of streaming terms, it's Craig Robinson Plus. <laughs> Craig Robinson Max. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little bit of, a little more for your money. Uh, I mean, you've had such an interesting past couple of years in your career, like because because then you throw in the hosting stuff as well, and like you did, uh, Mass Dancer. <laughs> Mass Dancer, I hosted 
Last Comic Standing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there was something else in there. But yeah, Mass Dancer, that was fun. Yeah. It was all fun. But yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting, interesting show. Uh, and you know, we, we still haven't officially been canceled. I was going to ask you, like, you know, again, there's upfronts in a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> we'll you know, see. Maybe, maybe they're going to throw us a surprise. Let me answer. know. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah. They took care of you over there. That's good. Uh, you, you never know. Well, may, maybe you'll you'll show up uh, under a mask on, on a future edition of, uh, you know, Mass Singer or something. So what else are you excited for? You mentioned some of the films that you've got coming up. What what else uh, is should we be expecting uh, for for Craig Robinson in twenty twenty two twenty twenty three and in the coming years? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I mean, I, this this film super high, you know, getting that together. And there there's some other things, you know, the um, release. Of, I don't know about the album. We got some singles ready to go, so uh, that, that's going to happen. The first one's going to be uh, called "All I Want to Do." All I want to do. All I want to do. And, uh, and then we got some stuff after that. So that'll be fun. That'll be a relief to get that out and then see, see how people react. Give us a little riff. All I want to do is love you, baby. Well, it's a little, a little taste. That's a little taste. All right. So, yeah. So so the movie, any ETA, any date on when that'll come out? No. We don't have a date to shoot it. We just have a a script and a commitment. All right. So, so kind of, you mentioned the bad guys playing Mr. Shark that that's already out. That's uh, out. So, and more killing it. You're mouth to God's ears. We'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, we gotta, I don't know how all that stuff works, especially with streaming. I thought I knew what, it, how it worked with TV. You get the ratings and it was all good, but we got these great ratings for ghosts and then it wasn't all good anymore. So, <laughs> so y'all deal with that. Let me know. If I need to be at work or not, boom. Yeah. So basically just call Craig. You've got his number. Call Craig. That's Craig Robinson, star of Killing It, now streaming on Peacock. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Hanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.